Hi, it's Dan. We're doing something a little different this week, and I wanted to tell you about it. Uh, Surprise, I just found out that John's in Los Angeles this week, so that means we weren't able to record a regular episode for you. Fortunately, though, we had recorded a nice long bonus episode we'd intended to release as usual to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Instead, with the spirit of the holidays in mind, John had suggested that we just release it to everyone. So what you're about to hear is the latest episode of our secret Patreon-only show. The only difference is that uh, this particular episode has sponsors in it because it's filling in for the regular episode. But our normal Patreon-supported episodes, of course, don't have sponsors because you guys are supporting us there. Uh, We will be back on our regular schedule next week after Christmas and before New Year's. Uh, But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this special episode of Roadwork. And if you like it and you like what we do in the, uh, the, the secret bonus shows, you could support us. Please consider becoming a supporter. You can do that by visiting patreon.com slash roadwork. And uh, we greatly appreciate that support. Have a great holiday and we will see you again on our regular schedule next week. Hi, John. Hi, Dan. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. I have here on my desk a ton of mail that I just, I want to, I just dropped my pen. I just want to work through this as fast as possible. I just want to get, I want to get through. We have so many and I feel like we're behind and people, the emails have slowed a little because I feel like people think we're not ever going to get to them. And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I want to get, I want to make sure we get to all of them. All right, so here's here's a good one. Uh, well, they're all good, John, because they're all from our, our listeners. Oh, yeah. Hi, Dan and John. I have listened to every episode of Roderick on the Line, Roadwork, and John's two other shows. I don't recall wow. ever hearing John reference God before, the bonus episode, in which he said, and please pardon my paraphrasing, our purpose is to have children. Since then, my ears have perked up. popular episode. Yes, it is. Everybody's got something to say about it. (laughs) Since then, my ears have perked up whenever he has said, more paraphrasing, that's what God put us here for. He usually says this in the After Dark episodes. Could you two each talk about your thoughts on God and what our purpose is? And the reason I have phrased the question this way is because John uses the words God and purpose. I don't believe I've ever heard Dan use either word in this context, so I don't know if I've phrased the question appropriately for Dan. I think Dan is a Buddhist, but I can't remember if he explicitly said so. I myself don't think about the words God or purpose. For the past 20 years, I've lived by my favorite quote from my favorite book. What do we live for if it is not to make life less difficult for each other? I feel it has served me well. What are your thoughts on living by the quote of a novel instead of a sacred text? (laughs) Uh, if you have time, I wonder if John will say whether the topic of God has been on his mind more lately, and if so, why? Perhaps God has always been on his mind, and he's just not spoken of it until now. If that is true, then please ignore the question. Thank you for taking my long letter. I have a great respect and fondness for you both. Your shows are tremendously helpful to me, and I'm very grateful that you've started reading other people's appreciative letters on the show. All I can add is that I feel the same way, but they have said it better, especially that woman who sent a financial gift and didn't have a question. Uh, It's okay to use my name. It's also okay if you would like to shorten it to Ari, and I also don't care if you pronounce it Ari or Ari. Signed, Ari. 
So, um, break this down a little bit. Could we talk about our thoughts on God and what our purpose is? Uh, that's the first question. Uh, am I a Buddhist is the second question. And then, uh, what do you think of uh, living by a quote of a novel instead of a sacred text? And then, why has God been on your mind so much, John? A lot of uh, questions are, in there. I feel like this is a good good letter, though. Are we able to to address this and also uh, hue to your mantra that this time that, that today we're going to zoom through positive? These we can. All right. Do you want to handle? Do you want to field the? Are you a Buddhist and? Does that believe, does that include God? I can, uh, I can start with that. If you want me to start, I'll start. Just try and j- just dance in there. Get the, sure. get that out. Sure. Dance back out. Okay. So yes, I am. I am a Buddhist. Uh, I guess you would say I'm a practicing Buddhist, although I meditate much less now than I used to. I'm ashamed to say. Um, and there's that old saying that uh, saying I'm too busy to meditate is like saying I'm too sick to go to the doctor. Um, I agree. I should do it more, but yes, I am a Buddhist. I was raised and ethnically I'm Jewish and, uh, had my bar mitzvah at 13 when you're considered to be a man in that culture and able to make decisions for yourself. And I decided that I, I didn't want to be practicing anymore. Uh, so culturally and ethnically, I consider myself Jewish, but religiously for me, it's Buddhist. And, um, one of the you you it's hard to be well let me see how to say this i would say most buddhists um are or or buddhists are often atheists because one of the teachings of buddhism is that there is nothing permanent in an impermanent world and you have to rely on on yourself as opposed to having faith in a higher power. Um, you you rely on yourself to make uh, make a way through that impermanent world, which is essentially the the cause of frustration and suffering that that we as human beings feel is that we we are unhappy with things that change you you get a new watch and you love it and then in a few weeks you want something else because the watch made you happy but it didn't make you deeply happy it didn't truly put you in a permanent state of happiness but there is a permanent state of happiness and that comes through uh, achievement of enlightenment which is based on the four noble truths which leads to the eightfold path as you study the five hindrances etc and buddhism is a whole bunch of lists and so Generally speaking, it's not like anything super incompatible with Buddhism. Uh, there's no rule that says you can't believe in God and also be a Buddhist, really. But it, there, uh, most Buddhists who who are uh, truly Buddhist probably do, probably don't believe in God. For me, um. I would say I don't believe in God, but I don't not believe in God. Which to me is different from being an atheist. My understanding of atheists is that they believe there is no God. They don't believe in God and they believe there is no God. But I won't quite go that far. Um, I'm, I'm, 
I would say it's not something I really ever think about. It doesn't, um, whether there is or isn't a God, it doesn't really, I don't, I don't connect with that line of thinking very often. I don't think about that very often. I don't pray. I've never prayed, really. I'm sure there's been a few moments where, you know, I didn't study for the test and I, please let me pass this or something like that. But I don't, like, that's not, that's not a, an aspect of my life at this point. And I think I've known people and I do know a couple people who are atheists and they're, they have a belief in the non-belief of God, right? And that, I feel like that's really different. Um, I don't think, I don't think there's an easy answer for that. And so, by the way, a lot of people would ask the Buddha in, in those times, is there a God? And he would usually say, that's the wrong question. You know, one of those types of answers like, like that, if there is, or if there isn't, doesn't matter because that's not going to help you deal it more effectively with the suffering of the world. And that's what Buddhism is about is giving you skills to deal with suffering, to reduce suffering, to make your life and in turn other people's lives happier. And maybe even if you're lucky and work real hard, maybe you will achieve the permanent state of happiness known as enlightenment. And so that's, that's a very different goal. It says rely on yourself. It says everything about the world is impermanent. Everything about the world is changing. And if you put your faith or stock or depend upon an impermanent thing for your happiness, you will be happy a little while and that's it. You'll be lucky if you're happy for a little while because that state will always be impermanent. Everything changes. The only thing that you can count on in the world is that everything will change eventually. So as far as purpose, that's a harder question because I don't believe that, I mean, from the standpoint of uh, being an organism, a living organism, then our purpose is to make more of us. Uh, you said that on the show. I completely agree with you. That's why we're, we are here on this planet to make more people like us. And the more people you have, the more successful you are as an organism. The more people you create, the more successful you are. If I had 20 children, I would be more successful than you. You've only got one. I am more successful. There's more of me now. <laughs> and there will be more of me than there will be more of you because those 20 kids are going to have their own 20 kids. And your one kid maybe is just going to have another one. So I'm more successful. You know, uh, so that's what we're here for. That's our purpose. That's it. You don't have to look any, you know, why, why are dragonflies mating to make more dragonflies? That's the same thing as people. We're no different. Now, if you want to say, oh, well, we are different because we think and we, uh, we are self-aware and we have sentience and we we're more advanced. Well, yeah, we are way more advanced than the dragonflies. But really, What's our purpose is just to make more people. So that's my answer. Great. What do you think? Uh, I'm surprised that, that uh, this listener having listened to all the shows would say that I've only 
or that I've never mentioned God. Cause I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like I talk about God in that way, um, all the time that God wants us to do this or God has this plan so, so forth and so on. Right. <clears throat> I certainly in my, um, in my daily life talk about God that way. Um, and it's a, but it's almost like an expression when it's used that way, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's an expression of, um, I mean, God in that sense is a way of attributing. It's an, it's an attribution to an idea that can't be described by any other word. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> whether or not you personally believe in a God or what your, what your belief in that God looks like, there are ideas, um, where, where, where you would have to struggle to not mention God, um, in the, in the sense of like, <clears throat> I mean, and you hear people do it, right? Where they, where some, where five bad things happen in a row and they go, the universe hates me. Mm. And what they are trying to say is God hates me. God hates me, but they are modern atheists or whatever. And they don't want to use the word God. They struggle to not use the word God. So mm -hmm. they say like incomprehensible things like the universe hates me. Really, it's God that hates you. <laughs> um, and when you're talking about, and, and so I use God a lot to say things like, well, look, I'm not sure what God's plan is here, but we need to sort out this situation. So, and, and what I'm talking about then is, yeah, is there a, is there a plan? Is there a plot? Is there a plot that we are not? that none of us can be conscious of. Is there a, um, you know, are things in this particular instance predestined? Are we, are we going to get there on time or not? You know, I was raised by two people who were very, uh, 20th century. My mom was raised a Methodist. Um, but, in the 1950s developed on her own the idea that the missing link, which was a popular question in the 1950s and 60s, what's the missing link right. between, between apes and humans, mm -hmm. between the, uh, in the evolutionary ladder, you know, why do hominids appear to just pop out of nowhere? And, like the first UFO sighting was 1947, I guess the UFOs around Mount Rainier. Oh here. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my mom independently in the early fifties when she was just a teenager, uh, came up with the idea that the missing link was that aliens mm -hmm. have been intervening in evolution, that it isn't just a, it isn't just a process that was set in motion in the primordial ooze but that they keep it, that we're basically a science experiment and they keep coming back and making minor adjustments. Mm. And so things evolve this way and then they're like, eh, nope, nope, nope. And they, 
you know, in the case of the dinosaurs, they erase everything and start over again. Right. Or in the case of, you know, the transition between little mammals that are running in and out of holes to the great apes, they like push it along. And the gaps in the, in the record that we see in the, in the fossils are explained by, you know, these giant evolutionary leaps are the product of intervention. So she came up with that in her teenage years and has never really seen any evidence to contradict it ever since. Um, she believes in reincarnation strongly, um, believes in karma strongly, but, um, but also loves Methodist hymns. Um, my mother at one point in the 1990s, uh, ripped the, the page out of the yellow pages that had all the churches in Seattle. And it was one of those pages in the yellow pages that didn't have any picture ads. It was just tiny little, you know, the the churches that didn't advertise. Then I don't know if they do. I don't even know if there's a yellow pages now, but she ripped this page out. It had 200 churches on it. And she set about to attend a church service in every church in Seattle. So over the course of a couple of years, she would get up and go sit through a church service at in every denomination, every religion in Seattle. And in the course of that, and she did this by herself. She never wanted anybody to go with her. She was just doing a personal uh, William James varieties of religious experience. She was um, doing a survey of world religion. And when she got to the end of it, her her survey, she decided that she really liked the hymns in the Methodist church because that's what she grew up with. So if she ever wanted to go to church, she would just go to the Methodist church. But really, she does not believe in a Christian God and does not <clears throat> and never has, as far as I can tell, um, and believes in a, in a her religion is a pastiche, which is true for a lot of people in America. They take what they like from their primary religion and they add a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and they come up with a religion that they like. Now, my dad often, if you asked him about his religion, my dad would say that he prayed to a black Jewish nun with an affliction. (laughs) Now that was his 1960s (laughs) Sammy Davis Jr. way of indicating to religious people that they should leave him alone. And also he, it was, he thought it was funny, but what my dad did, my dad never believed in a Christian God. As far as I can tell, he never once took me to church or spoke the word Jesus or God. My dad practiced ancestor worship. He prayed all the time, but he prayed to his ancestors. Um, and when his sister died, he began praying to her and he, you know, would 
he would put little requests into them, but he also would just talk to them, ask them for guidance. And because he was in Alcoholics Anonymous, he needed a God because Alcoholics Anonymous requires that you have a God. They don't care what it is. And dad was already praying to his ancestors. And so he just kind of formalized that, you know, he just made it a point every day to sit down and say like, mother, grandmother, Julia Lee, what, you know, here's what's going on. What do you think? How, you know, will you, will you take care of this for me up Mm -hmm. in heaven? Mm Mm-hmm. Now he, both of my parents are very irreverent, but my mother is more serious about it. Like she believes that instant karma is going to get you. And she, she, she really, really firmly believes that we go around many times and what your challenges are in this life are somehow a product of what happened in your previous life. And when you get to the end of this life, if you have faced your challenges, then in the next life you get a new set of challenges on your way somewhere, right? On your way up the ladder to what, to some conception of Nirvana that she has. My dad, you know, I think he probably said, after I'm dead, I'll, you know, come back and rattle a can full of marbles. You'll know it's me, you know, like (laughs) my sister and my mom have a plan, which is that, because my sister goes to, my sister believes in a, in a religion, 100% woo-woo religion mm. that is, what is it? Her, her invention entirely. She goes to fortune tellers, but she also believes that you can manifest things in your life. And she believes- Kind of a new, and maybe a, a new age type of- yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. She believes that there are energies and truths that permeate- the world and and she lives according to these principles and she's always you know and she meditates religiously and she you know it's a it is a practice of religion that she has built in to suit her out of the out of the many traditions of the world and she and my mom have a plan that once my mom dies susan will go to talk to a a uh, Swami or whatever. She'll go to a, not a seance. What is it? Fortune teller. No, it's a psychic. 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 Sure. Psychic reading. She she goes to, she she will go to a psychic. And if the psychic uses the word sweetie unprompted, then Susan will know that it's mom who is communicating with her. The use of the word sweetie will be the code. Mm. And so throughout my whole life, I have sat in a chair somewhere in a room with these, all these crazy people. And I have nodded and gone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, as they've explained their worldview. And they all are serious about it. My dad's sister who died early was an Episcopalian and she was just a, an Episcopalian because it was the, the religion of her class. Um, None of my family are conservative or religious in any direction as far as the eye can see. We would like to say thank you very much 
to Squarespace for making this show possible. Squarespace lets you turn your cool idea into a new website. Of course, they let you blog and publish any kind of content, showcase all of your work. You can even sell products and services of all kinds and promote your physical or online business. Anything you want to do. Heck, you could use this to announce an upcoming event or a special project. It doesn't matter. You could do anything with Squarespace. They've got beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And like I mentioned, powerful e-commerce functionality. It lets you sell literally anything that you want. Digital products, physical products. They'll even help you with your packing and shipping. Hey, if you've got a, a podcast, you can use Squarespace to host it. If you're a band and you've got music to put out there, you can do all of that on Squarespace. In addition to beautiful photo galleries, landing pages, you name it. And, uh, and this is the nice thing about Squarespace is you can make it yourself. You can make it stand out. You could, whatever you, you think of, whatever you dream of, you can do there without knowing any HTML or CSS. You don't have to worry about security. You don't have to worry about hosting. They do it all. So head over to squarespace.com slash roadwork. That will show them that you are listening and that you support this show and that will help them become a better company because of the great listeners like you putting your stuff over there. Trust me, it couldn't be easier to do. Again, use the offer code ROADWORK once you are signed up and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or hack their domain name registration company too. You can get a domain there. Again, that's squarespace.com slash ROADWORK when you sign up and when you're ready to launch the offer code ROADWORK, one word, will save you 10% off your first purchase. Thanks so much. Discourse space for making this show possible. But the question is, what's my religion? And, you know, my religion is pure agnosticism, which is to say, I've read about religion and have been fascinated by it my whole life. I have sought religious experience. I have had religious experience, experiences. Um, I cannot contextualize them within any one tradition. Mm -hmm. I see all religious traditions as being products of their time and culture and space and fulfilling functions for people then and now. I've read enough about them to see how they've evolved and it all makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in any religion or religious tradition or cultural tradition that I look at and go, it's unexplainable. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I'm sure Jesus was a real person. I'm sure he said these things. I'm sure that was attractive to people. I'm sure that the Romans killed him on a cross probably. And then people said, let's keep his words alive. And 600 years later or whatever, there was a council of Nicaea, you know, like it all, it all follows. Um, even like, even his resurrection like you can read the story and it's pretty clear that nobody saw it. <laughs> so sure. I mean, nobody saw the burning bush either. Like it all, you know, nobody saw Muhammad ascend to heaven on a, the back of a winged horse. Like <laughs> all the big moments nobody saw. So of course, right. I mean, nobody saw Joseph Smith find a golden tablets buried in the ground. It's the key element of every religion that nobody saw the big moment. Anyway, it all makes sense. And yet I am not atheistic because it seems like, like a massive hubris to imagine that you, a small human could know, could, could know definitively. 
I'm agnostic in that I think the religions of the world do not suit me in, in that I cannot suspend disbelief. But when I'm looking about for a cause or a source for all things, mundane or massive, I call it God because it doesn't hurt. It doesn't Mm. hurt me. It doesn't hurt anybody. And the people that flinch at the word God, I understand. A lot of them are coming from religious upbringings and they're protesting God. A lot of them are coming from atheistic upbringings and they've been taught not to, not to, to let the word cross their lips. I mean, it seems that a prohibition, a personal prohibition on saying the word God is another like adherence to a strange mystical concept that saying God somehow makes you dumb or manifests something like it doesn't. Yeah. I use the word. Yeah. It's God. Like why did, um, you know, why does my daughter have blue eyes instead of brown? Uh, uh, God. Uh, uh, genetics. Uh, I don't know. God. Fine. Like done and done. And part of that is that I, uh, that I am in the Alcoholics Anonymous tradition. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that there's power in having a God, whatever. doesn't matter what it is. You know, my dad used to say like, if it's a stepladder, who cares? For him, I think God was Alcoholics Anonymous, the program itself. I, I'm not, I can't get that um, recursive about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the founders of the United States of America practiced, a, practiced what they called deism, which is just like, yeah, there's a God. And I think a lot of them used Christian terminology. But I, I, I don't get the feeling that a lot of them were Christians per se. I was in Morocco one time and I, and I was staying with a kid and he said, well, I mean, you're a Christian, I'm a Muslim and this, that and the other. And I was like, I'm not a Christian. What are you talking about? And he said, are you from America? I said, yeah. Are you like a white person from America? I said, yeah. He said, then you're a Christian. Like don't, you know, don't split hairs. And what he meant was, all the stuff. Do you celebrate Christmas? You know, do you like, he was saying that's as much of a Muslim as I am. Mm. But if you look at me as a guy from Morocco, a brown skin guy from Morocco, are you going to say that I'm a Muslim? Yeah. You're going to say that, you know, you don't have to like, unless either one of us are Jews, which is a religion that we both recognize and that we would both be like, Oh, you're a Jew. Um, otherwise, yeah, you're Christian. I'm Muslim. Anyway, let's get on with this conversation. And I was like, oh, right. From the standpoint of the world, it doesn't hurt me that people think like that. The, it doesn't hurt me that, that people say like, oh, America, all right, a Christian nation or whatever that a lot, that a lot of their policies are based on that idea. A lot of the, the culture is kind of steeped in that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. There are so many non-Christians in America that it would but it is a de- it's a demographically describable amount you know you can look and see on a file somewhere at at uh i don't know what the fuck is that well and anyway on wikipedia well did that did, did did i answer there was another question right 
somewhere in the at the end of that question. Yeah, um, let me skim this thing again. And I feel like you we answered it, but yeah, I think that's it. You know oh, what? Purpose, purpose, purpose. Right. What's your purpose? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Same thing. A, do you yeah, believe? I'm, I mean, do you do you feel that we have a purpose that we are in this world to do more than make more of us? I'm agnostic about that too. See, I think I think that as intelligent beings, we have an opportunity to do more than just make more of us. We have opportunities to do more. And because we're not animals in the strictest sense we are, but in that, in that we are sentient, that we can look at the world and see something besides it is raining. I need shelter. I'm hungry. I need to go kill something to eat. We're above that kind of base level. We have an opportunity to do more, but that doesn't mean that that's our purpose. Our purpose is incredibly simple. It's the same purpose that every single other organism from the single cell things all the way up there we're all here to reproduce that's it look you can you can you can say we have opportunities to do more and we can pick a purpose above and beyond that you know your purpose might be well i'm a buddhist so I'm, my purpose is to uh reduce suffering and find enlightenment that's a purpose but that's not what we're here for we're here to make more all right, I feel like we have uh, we've addressed it. Mm-hmm. If there are follow up questions to that, send I, them in. Send them in. Oh, and someone said, "How do I send them in? How do I send them in?" Five by five TV slash contact. Pick roadwork. Click the link. We'll get the email. Great. And uh, someone else. Uh, one question I get at least once a week, if not a couple times a week: How do I subscribe to get these episodes that you're listening mm-hmm. to right now? How do I subscribe to Patreon? Uh, Google. Um subscribe to patreon rss and that's the answer and whenever Mm -hmm. someone asks i just type that into google and i paste them the first result which is always the same instructions on how to do that okay hi if you want to address this question on the after hour segment you can use the name maureen and the pronoun she hi maureen I'm a longtime listener of all the great shows. I wanted to ask a question that combines John's World War II knowledge and his general insightful thoughts about how to manage one's personal history and personal dialogues. I have never been close to my dad's side of the family, and their history has always been a mystery. I didn't become interested in it until after my father passed away. We rarely talked or saw each other while he was alive. I tried probing my grandmother, who recently passed, for information, but she never wanted to talk about the family's history before they moved to the U.S. I've either never met and have no desire to reach out to the rest of my dad's family for a variety of reasons and lots of baggage. Hmm. I knew that my dad and his family had escaped the Iron Curtain and then immigrated to the U.S. before he was a teenager. I recently found out that my grandfather was a German soldier during World War II and was in a Russian POW camp. My dad's side of the family is extremely religious, so it's not a surprise that he credited his prayer and the Bible for helping him survive in the POW camp. Anyway, this is all to say, any advice for how to digest the news that my grandfather was a German World War II soldier? What do you know about the Russian POW camps and how soldiers ended up there? Uh, I'm a P, I'm unpeace and love liberal. Peace, a peace, miss me, I'm a peace and love liberal. Mm-hmm. who's having trouble coming to terms. There's a typo. He was uh, having trouble coming to terms with the fact that my grandfather fought for the Nazis. Oh, well, 
you know, there's a lot of uh, debate, I guess. Less, or, I mean, there's more debate about it now than there was in the last 60 years um, about whether or not your grandfather fought for the Nazis or fought for the Germans. And now, uh, because it's the style of our time, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of Nazi escalation in our culture. Mm. A lot of things are Nazi now that aren't really Nazi. People are being accused of being Nazis. They're not Nazis. Nazi is a, is a, is a real thing and it existed for a short amount of time and there are Nazis now. But, uh, you know, they're, they're Nazis. They're not just bigots or even someone who's not a bigot, um, who just is doing something you don't like. So people use the word Nazi too much and incorrectly. And in the German army during world war two, there were an awful lot of soldiers who were not Nazis. Uh, they were just German soldiers membership in the Nazi party was an actual thing. You could be in the German army and hate Nazis. And these things get lost in time um, because they all were sort of more or less fighting under that swastika banner. And it's, it's, it's weird to make that distinction. Yeah. But a lot of German soldiers um, on the Russian front were just, Foot, foot soldiers, just, just, just meat. And if your grandfather, did she say grandfather? Yes. Grandfather. Yes. If your grandfather was taken prisoner by the Russians as a German soldier and put in a POW camp and survived, he is one of a tiny, tiny fraction of people that survived that encounter. Most German soldiers that were captured by the Russians died of famine or were frozen to death Mm -hmm. or tortured to death. I mean, I don't know what the the exact statistics are, but, um, you know, a million Germans died on the Russian front. More. I don't know. I honestly don't know right now. That's a statistic that somebody that, has spent enough, uh, spent as much time in that world as I have should have at ready hand. I'm very bad. (laughs) I feel that way about everything all the time. (laughs) Statistics in my mind. Right. Um, so, uh, I understand your, I understand your like shock, I guess, at trying to confront the fact that, um, that you had a relative, that fought in the German army. Um, let me see here. German casualties on Russian front. Let's just get the statistic. Uh, okay. That is for world war two in its entirety. They're saying that five and a half germ, uh, five and a half million German military were killed. Okay, here we go. Eastern Front. We're looking at a million dead and a million missing and POW. So two million dead 
or or never found and 3.5 million wounded and sick mm. but in terms of what you don't describe and what is I think maybe the interesting part of your letter is why you don't want to contact anyone from your father's family because of baggage, et cetera. Right. Um, I, I think there are, if you're really interested in this stuff, there are ways to contact people in your father's family and not make it and find a way, find a cousin or find some inroad to get, uh, to get in contact with that side. And part of the reason is that, each one of our generations has a chance to consolidate our knowledge of our family and history. And if you miss that opportunity, if everybody dies and you were the one that could have put the pieces together, then what you're passing on to the next generation is less knowledge than you could. So, you know, the more you can kind of swallow bitterness and go find that information and say like, who was who now, who was which aunt and where were they and how did they die and this type of stuff and record that stuff. Then you're doing a favor to somebody in the future because you may be the last person that has access to that knowledge. Um, it's why I try to make sense of my own genealogy while I still, while those books are still around. Right. A lot of the Bibles that have all the family Bibles that have that stuff written in the cover, they're all going to end up in the fireplace in the next 20 years. Right. And that's the last chance you, you know, you could have written it down and you didn't. But <clears throat> there, there's a particular fascination, I think, in our time, especially among lefty liberals to to imagine that our history is full of atrocity and that we bear responsibility for that atrocity in our past. And the, and that has created a, a guilt ridden culture and one where we're, we're constantly trying to repair the damage that we've done. And in the case of the Germans who did an unprecedented amount of murder, it's, you know, it's, it weighs heavily on their national consciousness and it's why we talk about Nazis so much. It was a heavy deal. Now, if we were living in Central Africa, there would be more recent, like, heavy murders that would occupy our time. I doubt very much that in Rwanda, there's as much talk about Nazis as there is about the genocide that happened there in living memory and in Cambodia, too. I was in conversation with somebody yesterday who really, really wanted to talk about not the Armenian genocide, but the Assyrian genocide that happened simultaneous to the Armenian genocide. And I was like, uh, the Assyrian genocide. Well, yes, her family escaped the Assyrian genocide. So that's their main genocide <laughs> that's the one they want right to that's talk that's about. the thing they would talk about but if you go back any further um you know there was a there was a fairly brief period in world history um around the enlightenment where 
nations were kind of making an effort to not be constantly genociding. But my God, we all have blood on our hands. Every single one of us, every one of us is the product of murder and rape for 50,000 years of our history. There's not a, a nation on the world that is exempt or um, that, is, that retained any kind of pure uh, like there, there are no peace loving people. You know what I mean? I mean, now you can say you're a peace and love hippie and I can say the same, mm-hmm. but there are no peoples that you can point to and say, well, the Finns never killed anyone because the Finns sure as shit did. And so did everybody. And, you know, frankly, if you are descendant from, uh, you know, if, if your grandmother's people were raped by your grandfather's people, well, you are half rapist or a quarter <laughs> rapist. You know what I mean? Like My you gosh. don't just, you don't get to just pick the ancestry that was hurt and say, that's my people because you're also genetically as much herder as you are hurt, right? Um, you're just as much rapist as you are rape victim in that case. And that's very hard for people to swallow. Like, no, 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 no. My grandma, my grandmother was raped by her, by her master. And it's like, well, your grandfather was your ma- was the master. So whatever your grandfather did in the war, my bet is that he was conscripted, that he was sent to the front, that he fought in a trench, that he froze his ass off was, and, and you, and who knows, he might've been one of those soldiers that as he marched across the steps of Russia, they were burning villages and raping everyone there and salting the earth probably was probably following orders. And then got captured and sent to a, a camp that defies description and was released and his Catholicism saved him. And then he never wanted to talk about it again, just like most people from that war, whether or not you absolve him and yourself and your family is very personal. But I don't look at any group of people in the world and say, these are the ones who are the criminals. These are the people that did the bad things. And the other people are full of virtue. There are no virtuous nations. And the sooner we recognize it, the sooner we stop putting this group of people on a pedestal and that group of people in uh, shame jail, you know, the, the sooner we get on down the road, because the, the fact is in our current culture, Poor people are put on a pedestal and rich people are made to be evil. And that isn't accurate either. Right. So this idea that, you know, that, that evil people who have done bad things have to atone and there are innocent people who are constantly victims and they are righteous in the world. It's just a, it's very convenient to do, but all those innocent people who are righteous in the world are, are just as rapacious and violent and all those baddies that, you know, that 
all those genocidal industrialized capitalists are, they also get their kids get cancer and die. Um, and they, and they mourn them as much as anyone. They think they're doing the right thing, you know? And I, I, I think there's a, there's something in the air right now where undergraduates have been, it has been explained to undergraduates that there's a kind of moral equivalency fallacy where in the world today, every time somebody does something bad, the news media or, or apologists will say, yes, but then the other side also does things bad. And so undergraduates have this finger pointing. Um, it's the same way that they go straw man argument or ad hominem attack. Like their latest, the latest meme is to say moral equivalency <laughs> as, as though, you know, as though ever, as though uh, making any kind of um, suggestion that the world is not a black and white war between good and evil. The world is not just the bad people versus the good um, is some kind of mealy mouthed uh, apologia for our oppressors or something. And that's just undergraduate talk. It's not. And the only reason it's present is that the internet allows dummies to think that they're smarties, but you don't have to go far back to find the villainy in everybody and let that fucking be a lesson to you, you know, and, and search your, you know, everybody listening, like search your heart. What would it take to get you to do something awful? Probably well, and, not much. And, and you, know? you know, and that's the thing you also have to think about the, we don't, we don't know what kind of German soldier he was, like you said, but also, you know, people do the things that they do based on their environment and how they're, they're raised and what their upbringing is. And perhaps at the in the time and place and the way that he was raised under the circumstances that he was raised that by the way none none of us could possibly imagine uh, what it would have been like to be born into that time and that culture and that particular situation and what it would be like to grow up during that time you can't understand a person's experience. And it's like you said, maybe they were going burning villages and maybe he wasn't. And we don't know, you know, so you can't, you can't make the assumption that every member of the German army was a Nazi or that every one of them was, was evil. And let's just say, let's, what's the worst, you know, when she's thinking about this, what's the absolute worst? Not only was he a German soldier, but he was a Nazi. Not only was he a Nazi, but he was a real bad Nazi. A bad Nazi. He was right. the, the, the worst of them. Worst Nazi. And, and, you know, he killed every Jew and every Polish person and every, uh, every gay person. Every, every, he did it all. He did it all. Everybody. He and I mean, he, would, he wouldn't even kill them nicely. He'd, he'd torture them before he killed them. That's the worst. That's what's her darkest fear right is like that that he he's the worst possible so what that's not you 
You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that sucks. Like, he's a relative of yours, but you're not responsible for that. You're not responsible for that. It's not well, your I mean, responsibility. It's not your, uh, you don't have to bear the the weight of that. That's not on you. I mean, there's a, there is a contemporary argument that it is, that it is on you. There are people. It's that not though. That's absolutely insane to say that it's absolutely not. She didn't even barely know him. Well, but there, but that is something that each, each of us will have to navigate in our navigation. Well, of li- okay. So li- thought, listen, you know? my grandfather worked for the government during world war two as a metallurgist making anti-ballistic armor for tanks and a bunch of other things. What that, though, you could interpret that a lot of different ways. You could, would you say that he was pro-war? Well, no, I know for a fact that he wasn't pro-war. Would you say that he was saving people's lives? Well, yeah, yeah. Because if he made really good anti-tank piercing you know anti-armor stuff he made armor for tanks made it save guys lives sure but did saving their lives allow them to kill the enemy more yes is he good or is he bad because of that well he has to figure that out wherever he is now that's not on me you know oh well your grandfather you know was a metallurgist and he made uh, armor so he's good because he wasn't he wasn't making he wasn't making bullets. He was protecting from bullets. So he was good. You know, like that's preposterous. And, and that has nothing to do with who he was as a person. And it's certainly not my responsibility or I, and nor, nor should I be congratulated for the work that he did. That was his. That's all him. You know, if you, if you have a relative who, um, who murdered somebody, is that your responsibility? That's kind of what, what I think she's saying is like, maybe he, maybe he killed people. Well, lots of people killed people in during war. That's a product of the time that they're in and the situation that they're in. And we can't, you can't judge another person ever for anything. Really? Well, that's not the style at the time. Well, the times are stupid. Our, time. the, our yeah. times are stupid then. Well, I hope that that was sufficient. And if you have follow up questions, be sure to write. You want to do one more or should we just peace out? Yep, go. Here's one. Dear Dan and John, I appreciate that John has talked so candidly about his personal finances at least a couple of times on road work. Very few people ever do this anywhere in our culture. And so it's so refreshing to hear it shared so frankly. I'm not increasing my Patreon subscription now because I feel guilted into donating more. I think of it as a refinancing of my disposable entertainment budget. Each month, I spend $20 or more on Netflix, $15 on HBO Now, $10 on Apple Music, and $1 on a Patreon Roadwork subscription, done originally to hear the additional content. I realized I get far, far more value and positive emotional feedback, relaxation, and peace of mind from Roadwork and so many of the great shows than any of those other subscriptions. From Back to Work, to Roderick on the Line, to Syracuse and Marcos shows back in the day on 5x5, to ATP, to Friendly Fire, to the show Dan did with Zeldman, etc., etc., I increased my monthly subscription from $1 to $25 because oh. it's honestly closer to the value I get from the shows. I can afford it, and I look forward to every new episode of Roadwork or Omnibus or Back to Work that shows up in my Overcast feed. I know I'm mixing a few podcast networks here, but it's all the same to me. 
Mm-hmm. Thanks for all the great content. My hope is that John and all of you keep making consistent podcasts and more importantly that you get paid appropriately, not quote unquote appropriately. I think you guys should be making a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Consider my subscription increase to reflect just how good these podcasts are and how much I personally get from them. All the best to you guys and hope you have a great 2019. Regards, Tim. No question, but I thought it was right worth on, reading. Tim. It's cer- certainly worth reading. I mean, it's it's very hard to explain explain to people well i mean i always say like if it if you go to a movie and and you and you watch it for an hour and a half uh and it gives you an hour and a half worth of entertainment but you listen to a podcast and it it gives you an hour and a half worth of entertainment i'm guessing a good podcast and a good movie also give you things to think about after you've watched them for a while you ruminate on them but it's the same hour and a half of your life and these days nobody seems to feel weird at all about spending $13 for a movie. And if you get popcorn and whatnot, you know, you're in for 25 bucks. Um, but when it comes to supporting a podcast or buying a record album, people are like, I don't know, man, 99 cents. Wow. And it was, it frustrated me (laughs) when, when, when people would steal record albums, you know, when they would rip albums for free and say like, I don't know, man, music should be free, but they would go spend $15 on a movie or they would, you know, they, they didn't see any, I'm sure they would have stolen movies if they could, but because they couldn't, they paid that money happily or they paid it without complaint. Um, and it's just like, you know, it took us all year to make that $15 album and you'll listen to it a thousand times. If it's good, you'll be listening to that album. You'll share it with your kids one day. Yeah, 25 years from now. But you paid $15 to see Michael Bay's Transformers. At, <laughs> like, it cost a lot more money to make that movie, but was it was it a better hour and a half of your life? So anyway, I appreciate anytime somebody s- sort of recognizes that that relative value is real, yeah. real value. Did you have a, did you have a more? Let's just, yeah, a couple more. Know, good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. I'm presently listening to the most recent, this is on November 23rd, the most recent roadwork podcast. You guys are going on about grapefruit and how it affects certain drugs. I just want to let you guys know, and maybe you'll pass the information along to your listeners. That grapefruit does not block the mechanism of certain drugs. It actually oh. increases the potency of the drugs that oh, it affects. This is the problem. It's not a block. It's an increase. It's an increase. You can look it up, but I believe it suppresses certain amino acids that work to break down the drug so that your digestive system absorbs more of the drug you basically don't want to use grapefruit to stop an overdose as it may actually make it worse thanks jeffrey there you go just in case somebody was like i'm overdosing on this drug i'm gonna eat grapefruit uh that via, would actually screw you over <laughs> yes it yes it would that would be the yeah. opposite yeah. uh benjamin via patreon a lot of people um comment on patreon itself as opposed to the email so i'm i'll read a few of those just increased my patreon to ten dollars a month i don't know this all feels kind of wrong i really don't want to be anybody's patron because patronage implies dependency which in our weird western culture often implies some sort of value judgment alas i'm so sad that john can't make money from music anymore and dan isn't a millionaire from starting five by five so i guess i'll pitch in Mm, that's nice agreed yes agreed uh Kieran says, hey, Dan and John, just bumped up to $10 as well. It's not much, but hopefully this little contribution helps the transition from music revenue and get the house closer to the daughter's school. Yay. Thank you. Um, Mr. Roderick, Mm -hmm. I think your political analysis last week, this is from November 12th, 
on road work is pretty much spot on. I live in Oslo, Norway. Do you hear all my phones going off? Um, uh, Oslo, Norway. Grew up in Nebraska of all places. I'm the same age as you and seemingly have a relatively similar similar background playing in bands, getting signed, in my case, for only about 15 minutes. And I'm constantly trying to finish an album, Happy Face. Uh, And I've always considered myself to be solidly planted on the left. But I've grown increasingly disillusioned by what I experience as the left's dogma, intolerance, and even a seemingly dwindling concern with basic demographic principles like free speech. Since voting right wing is pretty much inconceivable for me, I basically feel like I'm a hostage of the left. My disillusionment, though, has led me to my own analysis that you might ponder. If you haven't already, I think the whole idea of a left-right axis has become anachronistic, at least as a tool for understanding what is going on politically. I find things make more sense if I disregard left-right thinking and turn the axis up-down. Those who have and those who have not, or more specifically, those who have or think they will get, and those who don't have and or don't think they will get. Last week you mentioned civility, and I agree with you 100%. To my surprise... I've found that people like Sam Harris, Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson, and even the pretty hardcore right-wing Ben Shapiro, coined the intellectual dark web, are having massive success doing what you are calling for, civil discussions amongst people across political divides. This creates at least some optimism. Both Roadwork and Roderick on the Line have become go-to podcasts for me. I find it amazing how you guys can keep things interesting week after week. Have a good day. Sincerely, Alex. So I don't feel there's a direct question, but I care to comment on that. Mm. Or no, just let it go. <laughs> well, I mean, the the haves and have-nots uh, way of viewing the world is also a kind of, I mean, it's certainly uh, derived from a Marxist understanding of the the oppressor and the oppressed, the the owners and the workers. And, and so it is, it ultimately is, I mean, falls prey to all the the excesses of a Marxist reading of the world. Mm. And, you know, I I do not come out against a Marxist reading of the world. All I all I say about it is it is a reading of the world. It is not the reading of the world. And it is useful, and it's as useful as a Christian reading of the world, as useful as a, you know, as a Buddhist reading of the world. Mm-hmm. Um and if you don't have the ability to look at the world using all those lenses at different times and able to put a Marxist lens on, look at a situation, go, aha, and then put a capitalist lens on and look at the same situation and go, hmm, interesting. These are different stories. Uh, these are different versions of the same story. And you can choose one, but you can also choose a combination of them, just as we do in every in in all other things. So the popularity, the insistence, I think that um, that uh, the Marxist reading is the left reading is the accurate one for a leftist is the thing that has made the left seem um, no longer approachable by people with, with liberal values Mm. because Marxism isn't liberal. It's, um, it's revolutionary. That's the, the, that is the premise. And until the revolution happens and until the haves are overthrown 
by the have nots, then there's no, then there will be no justice, you know, and that is a take, but it isn't, it's not my take. You know, I don't, I do not look at the world and say, well, they're the haves and they're the have nots because they're, because it's 100% a continuum. There are people who are super rich and super generous. And there are people who are kind of rich and really greedy and not generous at all. And there are people who are middle class who are super generous, people who are poor, who are small and greedy and violent. And I don't look at the human experience and go like, well, everybody that earns more than a million dollars a year is an evil villain. And everybody that earns less than that is just a normal, regular person who's trying hard. Like, no, people, each people has it, has their own journey. And when I'm making, when I make political choices, when I look at the world politically, it's never that there are villains and heroes. It just isn't. I don't think that is an accurate way of seeing the world. I de- and it's the Christian way too. I do not look at the world and say heroes and villains. I look at the world and go, these people have this in mind, this goal. These people have this in mind, this goal. What are my goals? How do I accomplish those goals? And what's the end game? Right? I had a very interesting conversation with somebody online who said, look, I've been a Nazi fighter my whole life. And he's talking about street fights, you know, like he was a punk rocker. He was in the clubs. He was fighting, uh, skinheads in the eighties and he continues to have it as his sort of, um, that's a, that's a big thing. It's a big part of his identity. He fights Nazis. And he said, I'm not like you liberals who think that uh, utopia is possible, that improvement is possible. I think there will always be Nazis. And I think that those Nazis will always need someone to fight them. And I am that. I am a person who fights the Nazis because I think they will always be there. So he said, your whole thing about like uh, not not fist fighting Nazis in the street because it empowers them, which is what I think. He said, I can't subscribe to that because fist fighting Nazis is in my estimation, the only way you deal with Nazis. And it caused me to really reflect and say, I do believe improvement is possible. I am in a way a liberal utopian because I, because that's the liberal project. Education makes people better and Smarter people make better choices. Now, I'm less convinced of that in recent years because I think the quality of education has declined. But I also think the quality of our culture has declined. We are not holding ourselves to a high enough standard. But I don't think Nazis are inevitable. And I don't think fighting them on the street is where it needs to be done. Now, people who are fi- who spent their life fighting Nazis on the street, like they have a different experience than I do. But I'm not a. I don't see myself as a soldier. You know, I I am. I'm trying to figure it out. Um. But right now, left and right both look at the world in this dichotomous like fight between 
one side and the other. And it's, I think, simple-minded and dull-witted and not productive and not true. You know, it's not true. The world isn't divided into halves. There's not one half that's good and one half that's bad or one half that's anything and the other half that's anything. You know, we're, we're like 300 million Americans who think we're the center of the universe. And there are a billion people in China that aren't really interested in what, (laughs) in our version of the universe, you know, and there are they Marxists or Maoists? No, not anymore. Not probably ever. I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Probably enough though. Probably we should probably stop. And will, I will, I swear to God, I will until I, until I'm arrested. I'll go on and on and on until they, until the, until the police come. We would like to say thank you very much to Palm. You know, Palm, this is your new workout device. No one likes to run with their big phone in their hand, right? An Apple watch doesn't allow you to stream all the audio you want. So with Palm being the size of a credit card, sharing the same number as your smartphone, And running Android, it means it is perfect for going your next run, your next workout. It fits into every pocket and allows you to stream any podcast or music streaming service. You can put anything on this phone because it is, even though it's super tiny, it's the size of a little tiny credit card. You barely even know you're holding it or that it's in your pocket. It has access to the full Google Play app ecosystem. It's got 4G. It's got Wi-Fi. It has all the mobility and capability of a smartphone. From weekends at the beach to nights out with friends to morning runs, Palm allows you to leave your smartphone behind so you can focus on what's in front of you and, uh, and live your life for a change. So go to palm.com, P-A-L-M, palm.com to learn more. Or if you want, you want to see one, and listen, I've been telling people you've got to go see one of these things in person. Go to your nearest Verizon store and check it out in the store for yourself. I have one. And uh, I am just so impressed by the size of this thing. It's got a great screen, but it's tiny. And it means you don't have to lug around your big phone. You, you're not going to get like sucked into your big phone. This is really a different way to stay connected. And, uh, and so go check it out. Palm.com. That's where you go. Or go check it out at Verizon stores. Thanks very much to Palm for making this show possible. We got more. I got so many more of these. So many more of these. Seeing if there's any real, real quick ones, but we did get through a lot of them. Good. Mm-hmm. Just looking here. Nope. Too long. Nope. There are too many questions. We'll save it. We'll save it for next week. Save it. Save it. Save it. All right. If you want to ask your question, we would love to get your question. Five by five dot TV slash contact. Click the link for roadwork. And uh, that link right there will will open up your email application. You can ask your question and what we like. Very important. First line should be, what do we call you? What pronouns do you want us to use if you care? And um, I, I, we, I would like to say if you can say what your location is. Oh, that's a good one. I, I want to hear their location. I also would like to hear their uh, height and weight. Oh, okay. So right. uh, that's I optional. I would like to hear your yearly income. No, oh, that's too personal. What's your height and weight? weight? Height and weight is fine, but yearly income? Yeah, I'm not asking for the, you know, like shoe size. Well, shoe size too. I mean, these are effectively 
more or less anonymous. We're not we're not revealing their last names. Now let's get income then. Yeah. Do well, then if income. we but wait if we oh, get income then don't we also need like line of work? Yeah, give us line of work. All right. How about this? Mandatory. What we call you. Pronoun to use. Height and weight. Optional. Salary. Line of work. Good. Shoe size. Good. All right. I will see you next week, John. Bye, Dan. Bye.